0: Hi and welcome to dietless living 360 degrees overcoming weight loss obstacles with me your host Katie Gordon as a weight loss coach I help my clients to overcome their weight loss obstacles so they can lose weight their way and lose it for life. The old saying that it takes a village to raise a child also applies to achieving our weight loss goals, because some of the obstacles that we face in life are in other areas of our life. We have obstacles in our relationship, business, career, work, finances, family, and sometimes we have problems just with injuries or other more complex health issues that are impacting our weight and our health. And whilst how to overcome weight loss obstacles in six simple steps, helps you to be able to maintain and um, continue with your health habits in those difficult and challenging times, we also need other professionals to actually help us resolve those obstacles. So with that in mind, Dietless Living 360 Degrees brings in those professionals to help you overcome your, your obstacles. And today we have the absolutely delightful James Brown. James has, over the last 22 years, coached and mentored many, many business owners. And what he noticed was that there was certain common traits amongst them and that most of the problems that James came across in their businesses could actually be fixed by correcting the business owners first. But what he also noticed was that most male business owners, including himself in the past, have tended to leave it quite late before they actually put up their hand and ask for help, if they ask for it at all. James says that the reason that that is, is that it's too often looked upon as a sign of weakness, which it definitely is not. James focuses almost exclusively on helping already successful male business owners in their 30s, 40s and 50s fix the problem of where to go next in their business and life so that they can move forward with clarity and authority through his Kingmaker program. So welcome to the show, James. It's so great to have you with me today. And could you tell us a, a bit about what you do and what the main way is that you help your clients?
1: First of all, Katie, I'm so pumped to be here with you this morning. <laughs> hey, good morning, Australia. Um, most business owners, they, they, they've they achieved a level of success and um, that sex, success tends to follow failure so so it's up and down you know feast and famine and many times in the journey um that has happened to them and eventually they'll reach a point where they're kind of uh, comfortable you know they've stopped reaching towards their full potential or if it's their first time around the park they're discouraged or they're struggling about they're trying to birth a new enterprise so it's usually that time when uh, when the world doesn't understand them when they're working through personal change or Perhaps everyone thinks they're a little bit crazy. That's when they need somebody like me who's gonna stand by them while they're fighting for their dream. Somebody is gonna give them good counsel, encouragement, strategy, resources, and access to my connections. So my only goal for them is to have them become the most confident version of themselves, making decisions that come from their king persona as opposed to their fears. Ergo, I give them everything that they need to make them happen. And nothing that they don't. And that is simply what I do. I say it's business coaching. It's kind of personal coaching, but it's specific to male business owners because I've been through all of those problems. That's all that I do.
0: And what a fabulous thing that you do because, like you say, men don't put their hand up and say, I need a bit of help. So it's really challenging for them because... It, it debilitates them in the end, doesn't
1: it? It's horrendous. It's like those, those uh, bumper cars, you're driving around and bumping into things. And it's not until you get out of that kind of mentality and find your own path that you can move on in your life. But I mean, you know, the idea that I'm the king in my house and then my, my children don't respond to me, it kind of knocks your confidence. And if that happens at work, you've got staff. And they're not doing what you ask them to do. And you start losing your confidence and you start getting angry with them. But it's nothing to do with anything other than what's in here.
0: It's absolutely what's in here. This is a theme I've had um, over the last few interviews I've had. We've all gone... It comes back to just this one place. It doesn't matter what else is going on. It's this one place where the key exists to to what we want to achieve. And I really do love what you do because I, I just love the name of your program, Kingmaker, right? Because I read this book a while ago, many years ago now, by a lady called Alison Armstrong and she does uh, she basically her I think her website's called understandingmen.com if you're looking at there it's a really good website for girls Um, but she works with the men as well anyway she has a book and she's uh, talking about the the men that women are looking for and she talks about them as princes (laughs) (laughs) she talks about them as princes and kings yeah. And you know, so it's the princes they're not looking for a relationship because they're still trying to build their life and get their stuff together. And it's the kings that we should be looking for—the men that are settled in yeah. themselves and they know where they're at. So, what are some of the biggest obstacles that your your clients have?
1: Well, if I explain what's happened to me in the first place, Katie, that might might kind of uh, demonstrate the kind of people that um, I, I work with specifically. Everybody remembers 2007, 2008, what happened in the global economy. Yep. It affected everybody. Um, there wasn't anybody that I personally know that wasn't affected in some manner. Now, at the time, I, I, was, um, I had been building a property business for the previous six years. And I was in the process of completing a very large project. And the, the bank had already agreed to funding. But then because they had a problem they couldn't stump up the last sort of a thing to finish this project now the project was just six months away from finishing I was literally within six months of retiring I would have finished the, the building site paid off all the debtors I'd have been left with a small small portfolio of properties and I would have been financially retired in 2008
0: wow. now
1: because the bon- the banks had a problem, I lost everything. Wow! Absolutely everything. It, I was right back down to zero, and as you can imagine, um, there was a huge disappointment. Yeah, huge disappointment. I can say it. it's disappointment. Be statement? Yes, because I was angry. I was livid. I was furious. But that's all negative energy. But what I was able to do because I, I was struggling to. Um, to find somebody to punch, to fight back against. And because the banks are so big compared to small businesses, there was nothing for me to do. So all that energy that I had, all that negative energy, I had to turn it outwards. And anybody in business that was having any kinds of problems with the bank in particular, I would jump in there and be their shield and try to fight them off because my case was lost. It had gone. There's no way I was going to recover it. But for anybody else, any small business, I was going to jump in and help them. So a lot of times in business, what I'm finding is that um, the business owners I'm dealing with, they, they've either reached a ceiling or they're into a situation where they're, they're lacking resources and help. They feel as though they're on their own because the biggest disappointment for me, apart from the bank, was that my management team, all the people that I built this business with, they all deserted me. I was Ah. left on my own. I mean, that was my, personally, the biggest disappointment. Put aside the money, the fact that my team, my trust in my team was not well-founded. And as a business owner, if you find that you're on your own, that's the worst thing that happened. So one of the things that I market in terms of the strapline for the Kingmaker program is that you need somebody to jump into the trenches with you and be by your side. Yeah. That's what I do.
0: you got to have someone who's got your back, haven't you? Absolutely. That you can trust somebody.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I know what that's like, and I wouldn't wish that on anybody. But I know how to fix it, so that's what I do.
0: And. I love that it's your personal experience because usually my first question to you in this um, show is to ask you what's your biggest hardship that you've ever had to overcome and how how did you do it like how did you build your resilience how did you mainstay yourself to get through that so was that would that be the biggest obstacle Ab-
1: how- absolutely i mean uh professionally that was that was this that was uh because prior to that <clears throat> i i thought i was life was great yeah. we were taking four um international holidays a year i mean ridiculous we were buying all the fancy cars we had all the toys we all the trappings of success and then suddenly it was all gone <laughs> i mean literally it was all gone yeah. so <laughs> in terms of resilience for me I had no other choice. It was either deal with it or get crushed completely. Yeah. And uh, when your back's against the wall, you, you either cower down and shrink away or you fight back. And for me, I found my fight.
0: Yeah. Did your fight help you to overcome the fear? of where you were because it would have been a fearful place and the grieving because like you said you're only six months away from retiring not only the loss of everything but you you'd already written a script in your head of woohoo
1: yeah yeah pirate, oh, the
0: fact months is, away
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah the fact is uh, i'd made promises to say i'd said to um i said to my investors look um we've just got to finish this six months in the marketplace, as it was turning anyway, we thought that all we'd have to do was that if we couldn't sell it and make the profit, we'd uh, refinance, pay back all the investors, keep the property, rent it out until at some stage in the future, we yeah. could sell the whole developments and then um, start again from there. Because we knew that it, it would happen and it, and it did. It took 10 years for it to happen for the marketplace to get back to where it was. But I knew that was going to happen. I tried to explain to the banks that was going to happen, but it didn't. So I don't want to harp on about the banks again, but more than that, I'd made promises to those investors and I'd made promises to my wife. Now, my wife, (laughs) any successful man that's doing anything that's got a partner will tell you that his backbone, his success is his wife. So if you tell your wife something and then you have to renege on that, that's like kryptonite. You know, you, you just you can't do that. You feel less of a man yes absolutely so at that point you either do what you're going to do or fight but there's no way he's going to go back home and shrink into the carpet and say I'm sorry dear that's it we're out on the streets no way
0: never to your queen
1: (laughs) never never
0: (laughs) and it's good I think the anger is such a misunderstood emotion because it really has a good place in helping us to leverage ourselves up out of despair and some of those other places that we go when the shit hits the fan especially in a massive way and it sounds like you leveraged that anger not in a destructive way but in a helpful way because it ended up leverage it you used it to sort of leverage yourself to then go and help other people didn't you
1: absolutely i mean anger is just another form of energy it's like electricity you know if if you work electricity right we've got lighting we, we've got computers yeah. we've got energy going on but if you stick your finger into electric socket that's not a good idea it's <laughs> just energy so it, it's for business the people that i deal with they get to a point where Enough is enough. They've had enough of having enough, and you take some kind of action. Yeah. Um, one of coming to to the weight situation, I have to say that um, in all those years that I was successful, I was living a certain lifestyle. We were dining out at restaurants and all that kind of stuff. And after about two or three years, I found myself having to buy new suits because. A, because I deserved them, and B, because I was a little bit larger than that. <laughs> a little bit more generous my in size.
0: The were showing.
1: <laughs> and I, I would literally have, um, <laughs> yeah, anyway, I was large. So um, <laughs> that's part of the thing. And then there came, it came to a point where enough is enough. It was affecting my health and I couldn't do all the stuff that I wanted to And it all coincided with everything that was happening in business. And it, it's one of those things, you either do something or you don't. You get to a point where you've had enough of having enough. Yep. And that's true True with business, with, with uh, your weights, your, your personal life, all those kind of obstacles. You reach a point where you've got to take some kind of action.
0: That's it. You reach a point where you just basically draw that line in the sand, don't you? And you, you're so yeah. fed up with being fed up. So do you find with... Um, your, some of the, the the businessmen that you work with that they're do that they, is it their health they let go of their health as well while they're struggling in their business or is it just more on a financial I know it would be all over things but in your bio it said uh, you say about you know you you under you start to see the common traits and you understood that it's it's really when when they fix themselves that they're that Impacts and turns the business around as well. So, is it how they're treating themselves in a health respect as well? Um, uh.
1: Unfortunately, uh, most men's in the age group that are in the thirties or forties, you mistreat. Oh, no, you don't mistreat. You abuse your bodies. You assume that you're always going to be strong, and then there comes a point where you're not as strong as you thought you were. Two incidents indicated to me that I was getting older and I was getting weaker. When I moved offices from my Manchester, well, yeah. When I moved offices from uh, my successful place in business to where I am now, there was a lot of stuff that I had to move with me. A lot of that stuff I physically moved myself. So at the time, I was strong, like you know, physically strong. And then um, two or three years later, I had to move office to a smaller size of office that was a bit more consistent with my funding. And the big pieces of furniture that I moved on my own, I actually couldn't move on my own anymore. So, you know, in the 30s and 40s, you think you're indestructible. You you carry on doing stuff on the basis that I'm always going to be this strong. And the fact is you're not. So many of that age, you tend to abuse your body simply because you think you're always going to be strong. And that's not the case. And um, my my son, um, I remember having to chase after him when he was a young lad because he was being naughty and I was just trying to grab hold of him and he was laughing and running away from me. And he was always going to be faster than me. But what I had then was stamina and I just kept going, but I never caught him. Whereas <laughs> when I was a younger man, I'd have been all over it. Yeah. So there that, that, that comes a point where you, things happen that you realize that you're not as younger and as strong as you used to be. Yeah. And it's just, you've got to accept that. So you've got to look after your health as you're going along we tend to ignore it. We just assume we're always going to be fantastic, but we're not.
0: And it's that when we, um, our body, it's amazing the connection between keeping physical strength, like, you know, the the difference between a day where myself and the same for anyone, where you do exercise and you start your day with exercise and you power off through the day and the days where you go, gosh, I'm tired, I don't want to. Just the, it's chalk and cheese in your mental state. Isn't yeah. It? So tell me, James, what is one of the biggest risks that you've ever taken in your life? And why did you do it?
1: First of all, I'm not really a risk taker. I manage my expectations about a situation. And if I can live with the possible outcomes, then I proceed. So it's to me, it's not a risk. I look at something and it's either going to go this way or that way or anything in between if I can live with that I'm all over it yeah. but I think perhaps the most foolish thing I've ever done is signing a <laughs> signing a personal guarantee at the bank that was foolish it wasn't a risk because I believed that we'd finish the site we'd make a load of money and it was not a problem so it didn't seem to be a risk but having the bank ensure themselves that I was paying for that was foolish
0: and that will never happen again <laughs>
1: That will never happen.
0: <laughs> I like how you reframe that, though, from a risk because it's not—it's—it's—it's a, it's, it's a true thing to look at. You know, maybe I need to add that into my my question because <laughs> sometimes the the question trips people up and they go, "Well, risk of denying." But yeah, some of the because we weigh it up, but it may not look like a risk to us, but it mm-hmm. turns out to have been um a, not our wisest move.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure.
0: So tell me, I often ask my client, uh, my guests when they come on, you know, because we, we do go through hard things. That's just how it is for us human beings. We generally have hard things thrust upon us, like what happened to you in 2007, 2008. But there's also hard things that uh, we voluntarily choose to do simply because it's going to take us to a place that we think is going to be better, a change that we want to make. So it, can you think of um, something that you've done voluntarily but it was a hard, a hard thing, either emotionally or mentally or, or even physically? that you've
1: gone through well, and why you... Yeah, well, I've, I've, I've watched a couple of your podcasts and I, I know that you've asked this before and it got me thinking, what if she asked me that same thing? And, and literally, this is the second hardest thing I've had to do to actually voluntarily tell you this answer. I think the hardest thing that I've ever had to do, it's actually nothing to do with business. It was breaking up with my girlfriend So I could date the girl who actually became my wife (laughs) because (laughs) the girl I was going out with before the girlfriend, she had model looks. She was stunningly gorgeous. The long legs, the beautiful face, everything about her was absolutely superb. And I'd known her a long time. We actually went to school together and I didn't see her for a long time. And then I sort of saw her again and she was suddenly this model and uh, I'd say physically stunningly beautiful but um oh I hope she never sees this but she (laughs) good looks good looks um over time will fade so what my wife had was a huge personality that was always going to be there wonderful person inside so my wife um my, my wife would have been if if my model girlfriend was a ten, my wife was probably a seven. Yeah. Now, I, I know you shouldn't grade people like that, but in terms of vi- the visual appearance,
0: yeah, you were trying over
1: here. Do. Yeah, she looked tremendous, and over here she was just okay. She was doing okay, but you know, well, I know now, and I'm trying to express to other men today the thing that looks good over here. You've got to see what's behind it because will it look good? in 10, 20, 15 years' time, something like that. So my girlfriend, my wife had a huge personality and huge intelligence. And what struck me, I, I approached her with a, a situation that I was dealing with, and she came up with an out-of-the-box answer, and it surprised me, and I'm thinking, wow, that's like a queen statement. I mean, I, I didn't think of it then as a queen statement, but it's just out-of-the-box, a different kind of thinking. And uh, my model girlfriend, uh, I posed the same question to her, just in conversation. And um, the answer that she came up with was, was, how can I put it, not satisfactory. (laughs) (laughs) So the hardest thing I had to do voluntarily was break up with this stunner so I could go out with this other girl who eventually did become my wife.
0: And I'm going to ask you this question, although I think I know what the answer is. But after you started dating the woman who became your wife and you fell in love, did she not become a 10 for you? Like, you know, love makes people so much more beautiful in our eyes.
1: Yes, that is true. And, again, this is the second or third hardest things I've voluntarily had to admit. After the birth of our first child, the first one, yeah, my wife put on um, some weight and she suffered emotionally and I didn't recognize it because in my eyes, she looked the same. But quite clearly, she would put on some weight. She, she looked different. And I, unfortunately, that happens to all women. I, I'm, I'm really sad to say it really does happen with all women. With men, they choose to get overweight by abusing their bodies. So my wife had put this weight on and I hadn't recognized it. I really hadn't noticed it. And uh, we took a, this picture while we were away on holiday, and then I saw it. The picture quite clearly showed she she was physically different to how she was. But in that that interim period, about a year and a half, I, I literally had not seen it. I was I was blind, absolutely blind, because I was in love with the person inside, and and I, I physically didn't see her. The, the thing that I failed with was that I didn't see the whole true picture, and how it's affecting her. So um, the answer to your question, yeah, the love thing, if you if you love the internal person, then literally kind of what they look on on the outside doesn't kind of matter. Um, well, but you, you need to, you just need to be conscious of how it's affecting the other person.
0: Yes. So what I'm getting from that is that your, your view and love of your wife allowed you to not notice that she'd put on weight, which is a compliment. And at the same time, because you didn't notice that she'd put on the weight, you didn't notice that she was struggling. So you weren't able to help her? Is that Absolutely.
1: I mean, um, yeah, you might want to cut this bit out, Casey. But when I first met you, when I first saw you, I couldn't understand why people weren't in love with you all the time because your personality literally pumps out of the screen (laughs) yeah
0: here I am still single
1: literally I I tell men in business that um, the way you're looking at the bright shiny object you've got to think about what's going to happen afterwards yeah and it's about having the proper vision about your circumstance and everything that's around you
0: well, thank you for being so honest with that question, right? Because I can see that was a bit of a struggle for you. And that is the best part, right? That is the candid vulnerability of a real answer that that <laughs> shows, like, that's what we connect with. You know, anyone can tell any kind of story that we like that's, you know, polished and easy to deliver. Yeah. But I really do thank you for sharing so candidly that particular story, because it's true, right? We go for the, yeah. shi- I've, I've gone for shiny boyfriends too in the past. And the reason I asked you about did sh- her beauty change after you fell in love was because um, there was a particular person that I dated for a while. And when I first met them, I, I liked them. They were a nice human being. Uh, but I, I was not attracted to them at all. Um, and then, as the relationship grew and I fell in love, that other person didn't exist for me anymore. This person that I was looking at was the most handsome man I'd ever seen in my life <laughs> and <laughs> and and it even though I'm not with that person anymore, I still look at the same photos, and I still see the handsome man, and I wonder how my you know like there's a change in your brain, how my brain at one point said. I don't find that man attractive. And yet, you know, after falling in love, most attractive man I've ever seen. <laughs> you know, it's the perception of things. And you're right, not that relationships are the same as hiring, although sometimes you you hire for traits. Not, yeah. Yeah. And it's the traits of your wife. She's an outside yeah. human being. Yeah. So tell me, James, what does fun look like for you?
1: That is a strange question. I don't. Say, everything's fun for me. Um, I, I do things that I really enjoy doing. But the, the fun thing, fun fun thing, is actually doing nothing. Um, I, I I have a, a small grandchild. He's um, seven. Or he might be eight. <laughs> <laughs> And um, he kind of just sits there, he lies on the grass, um, crosses his feet, looks up at the sky, and, he, and he's sort of doing this. And I say to him, What are you doing, Lucas? And he'll say, eh, Nothing, I'm just chilling. And I'm thinking to myself, He's having the greatest, funnest time ever. <laughs> so the idea that I can just do nothing sounds like absolute fun to me. One of the things that I, I, like, to, I like to read and uh, research things um, and outside of my scope. So one of the things that I've been reading is about um, the human endocannabinoid system and that we've got this and we're taking phytocannabinoids from plant products. And one of the things that it's talking about is keeping that in, in, in balance. And I think we don't spend, as humans, as adult humans, we don't spend enough time being childlike and just doing nothing and just daydreaming and having fun. So for me, I, I, I've consciously made the effort to just, from time to time, do nothing. And from t- I used what I used to do was binge watch television, yeah. and, and that was my fun. But I was just replacing doing something in the office by doing something at home. So yeah. now my concept of fun is just to do nothing.
0: I love that. Have you <laughs> read the book The Tao of Winnie the Pooh? You know, the Tao, uh, the, yeah. the ancient Chinese wisdom and philosophy. So there's a book called The Tao of Winnie the Pooh, and it is the best book. Um, and if you get it on Audible, it's even better because it's read and you've got all the character voices in there. And there's a part in there where they talk about the busy Backson, which is who you were just describing as the one that, for fun, we run, jump, play, climb mountains, you know, where, oh, what do you do for fun? Oh, well, I roll a blade and I do this, this, and this. And, you know, and he's saying they're the busy backsons. You don't want to be one of those. You want to be what you were just saying that your son does, laying on the ground, We need the poo stall. What do you do for fun? Oh, nothing. Just, you know, <laughs> just the
1: birds yeah. the
0: birds. talk to the birds. Because that's where you get your creativity
1: from again, isn't it? Yeah, that's where you get really connected. I I have an affinity for um, small animals and small children. I find myself um, lying on, when we used to holiday a lot, I find myself lying on the beach, and then these small children would start coming around me and talking to me, and all I'm doing is just lying on the beach. (laughs) So and my next door, but one neighbor that she has cats. So the cats, he'll be here in a moment. He comes in in the morning and says hello, walks around my ankles and sits on my lap for a little while. And then about nine o'clock in the morning, he'll go back home. So it's just, I love it. I love it. And when I'm being busy, those things don't happen.
0: Yes, because your energy is different, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely.
0: Daydreaming is a red-hot activity and so underrated. To lay on a lawn and look at the sky and do nothing other than look at the sky. One of my favourite things to do, and I don't do it enough, I have to say, is in Brisbane. There's a really great place across the river not far from me called Southbank. And they've got a beautiful green area. They've got a couple of spots there. But there's this one place, it's a nice gentle sloping hill and a flat bit's bit, right on the river. And on a Sunday, they have a, a band or play there, just a, you know, background band. They're just background noise Um, or music but everybody comes and they set up their little picnic tables and stuff in little groups and there's loads and loads of little children running around and having a good time and my idea of real fun is to do exactly what you said, go and lay on the lawn, look at the sky, listen to the laughter of the kids and, and just sit up and watch them play. They're just, it's such a different world that you forget about because you spend all day sitting here looking at the computer.
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Listen, I, I just want to throw it again because I saw it again. I saw something this week. It was on TikTok. It was a picture of animals just having fun, dogs in particular. And there was this um, French bulldog running down a ski slope. It was motoring down the slope. I've never seen a bulldog run that fast. <laughs> And it was stunning to watch because it was so fun. And I thought to myself about when you take your dog out for a walkies, dogs aren't meant to just have walkies. Dogs are meant to run and have fun. And I thought that's brilliant. And we just we just don't do enough of what makes us have fun. Yes. We're so we're so trapped up in in the business and go to work and uh, tr- being on our own. <laughs> we we need to make time for fun. Absolutely yes. do.
0: And we get so into the maturity of ourselves, don't we? Well, I'm older now. I can't be running around being a you know, silly willy and having a good time. I have to Listen,
1: if, if you're not an adult, by the time that you're 40, you can still be whatever you like. So I take the view, <laughs> my 40th birthday party, I went to a children's water play park and I made all the adults get into the cozies and just have fun in the fountains. Now, I know that there were some in the family that didn't do that, and I knew that they were old, and I don't hang around with them anymore because I don't want to be like
0: <laughs> My dad always said uh, growing old is, uh, what is it? Growing old is uh, not optional, but maturity, maturing is. And he he his thing, we didn't get to do it for his uh, funeral because he didn't have a proper funeral, he had just a memorial, but... He used to say, when I die, can you put a whoopee cushion under everybody's? <laughs> <laughs> so when they all sit.
1: <laughs> Yay. My kind of guy.
0: <laughs> Have a good- uh, yeah. pop. So tell me, James, what do you do for relaxation then? Is it a bit like what you've discovered is good for doing for fun?
1: No, I mean, f- fun and relaxation are different things. Um, for, for relaxation, I, I like to read, um, and, and, and like physically read a book. I like to turn the page. I like to feel the pages of a book. I like to make notes in the book. I, lead to, I like to return backwards and forwards to a book. Um, I, I, I've always liked reading. Um, it, it allows me to view the world from a distance different perspective i'm not talking about fiction or anything like that but i'm not talking about hard scientific literature either i'm just interested in knowing stuff so for relaxation i I read
0: nice do you have
1: that's a bit boring but that's what i do
0: because i love reading too it's it opens up new worlds and connects the dots on so many things it's amazing how you can read a book books that are unrelated but they actually make a connection together
1: Oh, will t- tell you something else that I've read just recently. While I was balancing my endocannabinoid system, people talk about um, CBD, and um, you know, um, y- you always know when when somebody's been having a smoke because afterwards they get a munchies, and I understand that's because of the THC content in whatever it is that they're, they're taking. Yeah, but I didn't realise there was also a, a THC V. So right. the THC that's in one of the components that's in the your CBD oil will will make you have the munchies when you come down from it, but the THCV, which is in the same plant, is an appetite suppressant. All oh, right. So, so I've I've learned that recently. So you do have to be careful about the CBD products that you're taking because it needs to do whatever it needs to do, and there are lots of CBD, CBG, CBA, THC, THCV. So in reading this, I've come to realize that this plant, which is a natural plant, yeah. does many great things. And the body's adapted to accept these things. Now we used to receive a lot of that um, support and uh, building up our system through, through food, through eating plant products. But because the quality of our food is reduced, we, we tend not to see that. So it's... Yeah, just reading has just sort of expanded my e- idea about these things. So, um, yeah, you know, the idea of uh, smoking the stuff and whatever, there's and more to it than just that.
0: CBD pills.
1: Yeah, there's more to it than just that. Yes. So it's, it's very interesting. I like, I like to read.
0: Do you have a favourite book that you go back to? Uh,
1: yeah, I can't remember the author, but it was, it was called um, – Zen and the Ways, a blue book, hardback book I had when I was 16 years old. And there was a chapter where it talked about um, you can only understand what you can understand at that time. And it talked about reading and knowledge and you do what you need to do based on the knowledge that you had at the time. So this book I read up 16 years old. I'd read this book up until this particular chapter, and I couldn't go any further because I didn't understand anymore. That was the limit of my emotional thinking. And and I go back to it from time to time and reread it again and see how much further I can get into the book. Now, I'm sure that the book itself is not the the issue, but I set a mindset in myself that said, can I understand the whole of this book? And uh, I'm just working my way through the book, and I keep going back to it to see how much further I can get. And I think when I can get to the end of the book, (coughs) I will achieve enlightenment.
0: (laughs) But yeah me of uh it's a joke shirt i saw somebody wearing it says uh i can explain it to you but i can't understand it for you now it was a joke shirt and it's meant to imply yeah. somebody's not very intelligent but no truer words were ever said right
1: yeah absolutely and that's yeah. what that
0: book is saying to you i can explain this to you but until your understanding catches up
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: Brilliant. I'm going to look for that book. What was it called? Zen ways. It was
1: called Zen and the Ways.
0: Zen and the Ways. So tell me, James, how did your earlier career choices actually lead you to where you are now?
1: I don't know. Is the honest answer, and I don't think that um, <laughs> I don't think there was any kind of logic in it. Um, yep. I, I where I grew up and went to school basically the boys became engineers and the girls became secretaries or nurses that was your career choice so I went into engineering and I loved it because um, it dealt with numbers and it dealt with real physical things I excelled at it absolutely loved it Um, got the degrees got everything that I needed to get and uh, got to about mid-20s and realized that I wasn't going to be able to cope with another 40 years of doing the same. (laughs) But as part of what we were doing, we had to make photographic records and all the bits and pieces for these projects. So I thought I'd go into photography. So I did. I don't know why, but I just sort of, you know, started taking pictures and uh, fortunately a friend of ours um, had a, a photographic studio. So I went to learn from them in the studio. Um. Shortly, literally within the first 18 months, I realized that this wasn't going to keep me, you know, fully enthused for the rest of my life either. So I decided I'd go and be the best photographer I could be. So I went into medical photography, which was again kind of technical, but it's still creative. And I thought it's about brilliant, so I could do that. That didn't that didn't work out either because um after a little while, got married and realized that the income, the earning potential for medical photographers wasn't going to support me and a family. So um, this is where my wife, because of the way she thinks, uh, gave me the freedom to do some other things. So what happened was that um, <clears throat> she's she was a nurse, and that's how I met her, uh, in, through medical photography. So our wages were about parity for a little while. And then <clears throat> in the UK, what happened was that on the technical grades that worked in the health service, we had a percentage of whatever the nurses got. So over about about three to five years, the the income started to separate, so she started to earn more than I did. So when the children came along, it made economic sense for her to keep working and for me to quit my job and just look after the children, which I did.
0: Yeah.
1: And um, it was tremendous experience for a father to be tight with his children, rather than being at work and rushing out and not giving them any time. There is a downside to that, is that um, my wife then became the breadwinner and the kind of pressure was on her. So there's always a trade off, there's always a balance. But that flexibility that allowed me and the support that she provided for me allowed me to try different things uh, without too much worry. So I went into little businesses, tried different pieces of things because I still had the engineer's mindset. So I knew what I was doing.
0: Yeah.
1: So that engineer's mindset got me an introduction uh, by somebody else to a property company in Manchester, which is where I got started. So I went in as a project manager
0: Right.
1: Um, within, within a year. I was a director, then I bought the company. And then th- the thing about the property company was that, I went in with an engineer's mindset rather than the property developer's mindset. And I didn't know what you didn't, what you couldn't do. Yeah. So, so my ideas were all novel. And for, for a time, I met every decision I made was right. And I just seemed like a wonder boy, but it is just that I had a different way of thinking in a space that I hadn't been in. Yeah. And that's why that all went very successfully. But in truth, all of those career choices, there was nothing more other than, um, And then we know the story about um, what happened after that, 2007, 2008. It was all, everything, pretty much everything I've done in my working life um, has hardly ever been a choice. It's it's more been like rock climbing, you know, where you reach for the next safest handhold to get up the cliff. That's all that I've ever done. As I say, I don't take huge risks. So I'm not going to stop what I'm doing now and suddenly decide that I'm going to be a... um, An astronaut or anything like that. I I make safe handholds as I climb up the cliff. So that's what I'm going to be doing.
0: But everything that you learn along the way adds to the skill bucket, doesn't it? That's the the breadcrumb trail that tends to evolve. Everything that you've done along the way seems kind of unrelated, but everything's added to the skill bucket and the perspective bucket. I imagine from photography, You know, because you've got to get an eye for seeing things in a different way to what people see. You know, it's picking out a portion of something or seeing a bigger picture. And uh, I don't know what you take photos of in medical photography. Is that human bodies?
1: Yeah, it's literally everything. And I think any visual material in the the health environment is created by somebody. It would have been made by medical illustration, medical photography departments. That's what we used to do.
0: So you're looking at things that normally are blasé or not known by the average person, the tools of the trade. Yeah. And you start, I think all of those are the things that give you this magic perspective plus your experiences from the property. And like you said, you went into property development as a project management engineer, like you go in with an engineer's mindset. So you're looking at something with this whole a different viewpoint, which allows you to make unique and interesting decisions that were win-win situations for you. And I think that's those breadcrumbs that you bring to your Kingmaker program along with everything else, but that uniqueness of all of those eclectic skills and, and experiences.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. That's, that's what life's about, isn't it?
0: I think it is, and I think that's what all our earlier experiences and and careers in life are about, (laughs) working your way to the one that you really like doing (laughs) somewhere down the track.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So what motivates you to stick with being an entrepreneur, like in in this particular field? Because, you know, from, from my point of view, it's the best job I've ever had. However, it is the most unstable financially that I've ever had. And, you know, unless I, if I didn't love it as much as I do, you know, if this was a, just a normal job and I didn't like it, I'd have been out of here after the first week because the money's just so unreliable.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think being an entrepreneur, or being a self-employed person yeah is is a very strange thing to be because if you do it for long enough there comes a point where you become unemployable ever again and uh, the the thing about uh, entrepreneurs is you you, you get into a mindset you have to be doing something you have to either create something or you have to be striving for something yeah and and the challenge comes and this is where people come to me is when they've hit that plateau. It's like, what do I do next? And it's about then regaining the clarity based on where you are now. Because I know a lot of coaches talk about getting you from point A to point B. Well, the fact is most people are already at point B. They've got themselves from point A to where they are now, which is point B. The challenge is looking into the future. You've got to be looking for a destination, which is point D. Yes, And what I take them through is point C. So we've got A, B, C, D. Point C is the change. Yes, And I'm the catalyst for that change to get you to point D, your destination. So it's as simple as that. You've got yourself from A to B. You need, well, you need somebody like me to take you through a point of change and get a catalyst, something that's going to make you change that takes you into your future that's what life is all about not just business that's what life is about
0: yes so you're not just busy 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 but there's a point and a reason
1: yeah there's a reason why you do what you do and uh, until you find your point c your catalyst you're just going to be at point b forever you're just going to wander through life
0: yeah i love what motivates you helping people get from c to d
1: absolutely
0: b to c to d
1: yeah you've got to recognize that people have put the efforts in and they are already at point b they've made that journey from a to b so if they can do that they can do it again but this time it's called c to d
0: yeah more volition
1: yeah absolutely absolutely yeah
0: well james it's been such a treat talking to you today so where can people find you if they want to know more about your business and the kingmaker program and how you can help them
1: Right. The 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 website is actually for um the Kingmaker mentees that are going through the program. So waste of time going there. (laughs) Yeah, best bet is to connect with me on LinkedIn. I think we'll put that in the in the comments or whatever. So connect with me on LinkedIn, just have a look for me. I'll be there, James Brown or my full name to separate me from the other james brown is james wendell brown which is my middle name so look for me there or um certainly join uh, i've got a group on facebook for people who are getting warmed up in the kingmaker program getting some information getting to understand me get to, to meet me and my concepts about life and uh, and business And that group is called A Desire for Greatness. So it's Facebook forward slash groups, desire for greatness, all one word, obviously. So that's your best bet. Um, Join the group. Um, There's a lot of good information there. Or connect with me on LinkedIn. If you desperately need to speak to me, just email
0: me as well. And you can do that by uh, James at Kingmaker.